a trend that we're going to continue to see chief data analytics officers, executives in the data analytics space moving to adjacent executive roles and then moving up to the CEO roles. So the world is your oyster and then at Data Futurology we hope and we aim to bring you the different perspectives from people who are doing that so you can hear about and learn about what it takes to make that move, what it looks like and for you to start thinking about it so you can do it too. That's what we're really excited by and proud of, and that's why we're mentioning this as one of the trends. We have a fantastic line of speakers for both of these events. Please check the website for more details. Data Ops, future-proofing your data platforms, all about increasing the industrial strengths of our data platforms. That's a virtual event on February 17th, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And in April, April 6th and 7th, we have Advancing AI, a two-day physical event in Melbourne, which is going to be around finding more use cases for AI, increasing the adoption, increasing the use cases all within your organization. I'm super excited for these two events. I hope to see you there. I wanted to say a big thank you to our sponsor, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading data specialist recruitment business. They are experts in recruitment strategy and delivery for analytics and data teams. They are the go-to recruitment business for all your data roles in Australia, and they can help both with permanent hires and short-term project-focused data resources. I've used Talent Insights in the past, and I've always found them fantastic to work with. Visit them at talentinsights.com.au. So that was trend number two. So trend one was MLOps. Trend two is data ops. Trend three is a really interesting one, which is the low-code slash no-code AI. And this has been great to see, and at times it can be a bit divisive, but it's, it's so important for us to have this and to do this well. So maybe I should start by saying that the advancements in AI and the merge with software engineering have allowed for more automation, more and more automation in the in the ML and AI space, where um, uh, you know for a few years we've seen auto ML tools, uh, both from companies and open source, and then uh, we've also had higher and higher level APIs in order to create machine learning models, and um, and, and, and now we're going into this, this frontier where you can create AI and deploy AI with very little code being written by the, the creator of the product, or the, the creator of the, of the model, um, very little code written or no code written, which is obviously heavily reliant on, um, both of these are heavily reliant on AutoML and they're, they're essentially an extension of AutoML. Now this is quite divisive for people because um, sometimes people feel um, a bit disappointed or almost like a bit cheated to say, oh, like I've been studying data science for or machine learning for all this time and, uh, and, and turns out that there's just like these, these applications where you can create it with two or three clicks. And they're like, oh, that's a bit demoralizing. Um, but it's not, it's not that you need one or the other. You actually need both. Um, and um, you, um, 
and, and, and the reason for that, maybe the reason first, the reason for that is because um, the because of the, the advancement that we were talking about before, that we have an increased need for using more and more AI um, and an increased number of use cases need AI. Um, so as, a, as an extension of that, essentially most or almost Every, or almost all people in, in, in organizations need to have an understanding of AI. And I personally think that that should come before using these low-code or no-code alternatives. You need to understand um, the strengths and weaknesses of AI, what it can and cannot do, um, how to think about your, your data set, uh, even if, if people don't have the technical skills to put that data set together, you need to understand what are the, the um, implications that your data set is going to have on your algorithm, um, and then understanding the, the variable that you are trying to predict and how that influences um, what the model can do and what, what, um, what it's going to look for in the data, and etc. So you need to have a, this, this conceptual understanding of, of, a, of AI. Sorry. <coughs> I think that we need to, people need to have an understand a conceptual understanding of, of the data and of AI before using these um, low code or no code AI tools um, because AI is just a, such a critical technology that the more people that are understanding, the, the, the more impact it's going to have in the world. So I definitely think that pretty much everyone in organizations need to have that understanding. And then once we have that, or as we, as we move to that vision, then the low-code and no-code alternatives are, uh, for AI are going to help us get you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of people per year using this technology for their use cases and to solve their problems and to be able to productionize these ones. So we'll always, um, there will always be a space for the, for the handcrafted uh, models, uh, for the, for the um, you know, AutoML side and for the low code, no code. Um, and essentially the low code, no code is, is, is GUIs, is GUI interfaces, which a lot of programs in the data space um, were GUI based, you know, 10 years, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I know that early in my career, I worked with a lot of GUI based um, data preparation tools, um, data modeling tools, uh, and, 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 and this is kind of like, GUI-based tools for, for AI, and um, yeah, and we definitely needed to increase the adoption through our organizations and to have more and more impact um, from this technology. I also think that low-code, no-code AI is the future, because if, if you see um, a lot of the, um, or some of the cutting-edge research that we're seeing in AI, uh, there are things like, having people um, talk to a system and the system being able to create something uh, just based on the human description. So sometimes uh, people are describing, say, uh, an image or a photograph or an animal, and then the AI is able to create that image of that animal. 
um, just based on, on what people are saying. So there's a, a speech to text uh, component and then there's a, a text to, to image um, component in the AI, but it, it can all be done uh, by speaking. Similar to that, we've had cases where people are um, doing um, uh, building, uh, there's an AI that builds websites based on a text description of the website. Um, and and, um, and you, you can test it. Um, we'll try and find the link. I can't remember off the top of my head, but you can, you can test that by going to this website and, and essentially there's like a text box and you start typing there. It's like, I want a green page with a red button and to have a picture at the top and, and, a, and a text box and this, and you start describing it and the AI builds it. So it goes from the English description to the um, to the website to the HTML uh, code, and progress in in areas like that is going to make mean that more and more people are able to create their websites. And obviously today there's there's assistant assistant tools uh, that you can use like Squarespace or like Wix where you can create websites with no code. Um, but then this this um, this is expanding that from it being software driven to it being AI driven and that you can you can use kind of like natural language to be able to describe what you want the computer to do and the computer understands and does it. Um, so I think that that's, that's, that's where the future is heading. Um, that's how we're going to be interacting with computers in the future and more and more so they're, they're going to uh, be able to uh, interact in ways that are more and more human um, and that will probably be, you know, in the coming decades, we'll be doing away with computer interfaces like the keyboard and like the mouse. Um, and it might, oh, it might all be, um, and this might be like way into the future, but it will it, probably all be um, um, audio based. Uh, so you can, you can speak, you can, you might be able to have um, other, um, something that recognizes hand movements or gestures, or it'll be, it'll be more based on touch screens, et cetera. But the, the interfaces on how we, we um, interact with the computers is going to change and, and, and AI is gonna be a key component to that. And within that, we're gonna have more and more advancements in low code and no code AI that are going to help us more equitably distribute the capabilities of these technologies um, and help us lower the technical barriers uh, that exists today for people to start using and getting value um, in, in delivering these at scale. So I'm excited overall. I'm excited by this by this trend. I think it's going to make a big difference. Um, and um, and I'm 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 keen for what 2022 is going to bring. Um, but I also think it's one that's going to continue uh, into the future. So that was trend three. Now let's move to trend four. Trend four is um, is something that a change that I've noticed recently, um, where I'll tell you the maybe the, the 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 trend or the change that was happening before, and then I'll jump into this one. The one that I saw before, which is very similar to this one, is um, before we had chief analytics officers or chief data and analytics officers um, that were making the jump to CEO of organizations. So, um, and, and sorry, I should have said that this trend is about 
changes at the executive level and how data analytics are being perceived um, and what the, the changes are being, um, the changes that are happening at, at executive levels and boardrooms. So before we had um, chief data officers, chief analytics officers making the jump to CEOs. Uh, and obviously it wasn't everywhere and it wasn't widespread, but it was, uh, it was a trend that I was particularly excited about and it's a trend that continues. And one of the latest ones was, you know, last week or the week before, um, the, the head of AI from Twitter became the new CEO. Excellent, excellent. That's happened a lot in Australia. Um, and and it's, a, it's a fantastic, fantastic move. Um, and one that in data futurology, we hope that we that we can support people in making moves like that by by um, building, bringing more business understanding and commercial acumen to to uh, technical people in the field. And for the business people that are out there, we want to be providing you more of the technical understanding and, and more understanding about AI. So so you can also make those jumps. And some of the movements that I've seen in, in executives in that space is that sometimes they go from um, chief data analytics officer to uh, like chief marketing officer um, to um, sometimes to CFO um, and and an interplay of those and then and then sometimes CEO and sometimes straight to CEO and that's fantastic and I think that's that's something that is still playing today a trend that's still going on and it will continue. Adjacent to that is, is the trend, this trend four that I wanted to mention um, that is going to um, pick up speed in 2022, um, which is a com combination of um, chief technology officers with chief data officers. So they're coming together and now there's, there's, there's a few, there's quite a few roles and there's more and more roles that are Chief Data and Technology Officers. Um, and I've, I've discussed with organizations who are looking for people like this around what, what they should look for. Um, in, in my job, I now have that position as well, the combination of, of you know, leading data and leading tech. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's critical as part of the business transformation where um, data is, is a business critical asset now and that this this needs to be available throughout the organization in a reliable manner so similar related to the trends we were talking about before um, and now the 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 um or i guess maybe in the past we we sometimes had technology departments separate to the data departments and and you know, we're cousins, so we're, we're quite close together, we have to work together, but in being separate, we sometimes had uh, different priorities. And as, as more organizations want to be more data-driven or data-centric uh, in, in, their, in their structure and their organizations, there's now an increased need for, um, for data to drive the or the data needs of the organization to drive the technology agenda. Where three or, or three or four years ago, it would have been the other way around, where the technology uh, is available and then the data uh, uses the technology that's available. 
I think that would have been, you know, three, four, five years ago. Now it's the shift and this trend that we're going to continue to see is the other way around, where the, um, the agenda um, is being driven by the, the data needs of the organization and technology is there to support it. Um, and that means that by, by combining these, um, you know, uh, these roles into the chief um, data and technology officer, it means that the, that the core systems, that the business systems, um, that it might be operational systems, that now they're going to be looked at and designed from a data perspective. That, that means that um, the way that the, that the data is being captured in our systems is not going to be disjointed from where the data is being analyzed, but now we can bring them together and we can have tighter feedback loops that we might have data people and data scientists consulting or advising how the data capture systems and the data and the operational systems are designed, created, and how the data is stored within them, and then how that data can flow uh, back to the um, analysis systems like the data warehouse and then beyond to visualization and, and machine learning. But having this, this merge is, um, is helping us have technology systems that are putting data as a first-class citizen um, in, in the way that they capture, store, treat, and then share um, the, the, the information. So I definitely see that at the moment it's more progressive organizations which are doing this. Um, I see it happening more in small to medium organizations, but it's definitely something that I think is going to continue to happen. Um, and there's going to be larger and larger organizations that, that are going to do that. Um, and I'm super excited. I'm super excited by that. So essentially, what we're seeing, um, even at a, at a bigger level, is that data analytics executives have the that the world is their oyster. The the options that we have as data analytics executives are huge. That we could step into a technology role or to blend it as this trend uh, we're discussing in this trend, blend it as a um, chief data and technology officer, or we could spend in, uh, a step into a marketing, chief marketing officer role or a chief uh, financial officer role, sometimes like a chief operating officer role, I've seen that too. And then obviously being stepping into a chief executive officer role um, into, into CEO. So that, that's fantastic. Um, in the podcast this year, we had Jose Murillo, who is the chief data analytics officer from the um, second largest bank in Mexico, which is a, a huge conglomerate. And, um, and for example, uh, he has the marketing, uh, a lot of the marketing function, which is the um, consumer marketing, he has that function reporting to him. So he owns the CRM and the communications, and that's being done in a data-driven way. And like, I love that. I find that fascinating that, that, that the, you know, experimentation and being data-driven almost comes before ahead of marketing in this case, where, um, um, marketing is, 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 um, is looking, um, looking well into the agenda that, that, that data can drive and that, and that influencing what marketing, um, focuses on and can do and how to operate. So like, I, I love that. That's, that's fantastic. And that's definitely a trend that we're going to continue to see um, in, into next year and well into, into the coming years 
um, in terms of the chief data analytics officers, executives in the data analytics space, moving to adjacent executive roles and then moving up to the CEO roles. So the world is your oyster. And then at Data Futurology, we hope and we aim to bring you the different perspectives from people who are doing that so you can hear about and learn about what it takes to make that move, what it looks like, and for you to start thinking about it so you can do it too. That's what we're really excited by and proud of. And that's why we're mentioning this as one of the trends. Awesome, 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 awesome. Let's go trend number five. Let me type this here. Trend number five is um, a combination of data governance and information security. I think that in the future, they're going to become one and the same. The reason why I say that is because data governance, when it's done, in a traditional way, um, it, it almost forces data governance to look at the um, to look at the way that the work that the analytics work is being done and to and to govern the things like um, data access and the, and the process of how the, the data is being used. Um, and when you're doing that, in traditional ways or in old school ways, um, when you do that in traditional ways, data governance is is always or usually um, forced to be on the sidelines as a as a watcher of the work of the analytics work being done, and the data governance is is looking from the sidelines and say and and putting in the um, data access controls and, and, and governing the way that the data is being used and that the work is being done, but they're always kind of like adjacent. I think what's, what's going to happen is, uh, or what, what, is, what I think is required for, to make data governance, to put, to put data governance at the core of the data analytics work, what's required to do that is um, an increase in automation from data governance to, to improve the way um, that they use technology and to, to leverage it um, to be able to have um, greater uh, data discoverability, um, greater and deeper understanding of, of uh, the data, but also where it lives, um, how it can be better treated uh, for better business use, um, and to improve the access um, of, of this data. And I think for that, we need to um, have a greater adoption of software, more automation, and, and, um, and to be able to, yeah, as I said, have this software, be able to find all the data, know where it lives, understand what, what is there, be able to apply some um, ML and AI to do to do some clusterings, to do some understanding of, of what's there, and then being able to serve it to, to people. Um, if you're also then able to, to govern uh, access controls, um, how, how the data is being transformed, and then how it's being served, if you're able to, to govern those from a, from a more automated perspective, um, more in a software-based, and ideally, like, Ideally, what we want is data governance as code, um, because then you can really mitigate your risk. You can have um, scalable 
scalable data governance um, and in the same way that you know in in mlops and data ops world we're seeing infrastructure as code and deployments as code and use of containers and etc we want to have data governance as code um, that will help um, um, just improve the the level of service the the, the coverage um, and and be able to put data governance at the core of the of the data world and i think to do that uh, there needs a, a higher level of of technology skills and technology literacy we need um we need high level of technology literacy and technology skills from our data governance people and i think that the people that are do going to do that just one dude's opinion personal view i think that it's going to be the information security people um, because they come generally with um, good technology understanding of, of the technology good software engineering skills and additionally um, good policy uh, uh, and governance skills um, so I'm not saying that this is the only way that it's going to happen because data governance people can also skill up their, their tech if, if, if that's where you see that, um, that the gap is or, or, or maybe there's like tech people that are interested in want more policy and governance skills, etc. Uh, which which the, the policy and governance skills um, is, is a lot of kind of like soft skills or what's typically seen as soft skills that sometimes it's defining the policies um, and then that needs to be done in conjunction with the people a lot of times in conjunction with the people doing the work because then they have to follow the policies that were set so that's kind of like pillar two and then pillar three is checking that the policies um, and procedures that were defined were followed um, so you have the, the three components so defining the the policies and procedures um, uh, enacting the policies and procedures and then checking or auditing that the policies and procedures were done and that if, if this can be done um, through code then it can be definitely done at scale um, to be able to do that uh, we the, the the most common gap is the is on the technology skills and technology side to be able to close that so that would be um, super exciting I think it's it's out of the trends that we've spoken to today it's it's probably like the one that's on the on the slowest growth and maybe earlier in the in the adoption um, and I, I think it's going to also continue to to grow for quite some time and it's going to be I think um, super exciting and and um, and overall I think across the board more tech skills and more automation are are needed because um i remember for example many many years ago when i was at, at university um one of the growth industry at the time was hardware right this is this is how old i am um the growth industry was hardware and um the saying back then was that intel um the the, the processor company intel would have to hire every computer engineer or every hardware engineer. Yeah, every computer engineer. Uh, so, sorry, Intel would have to hire every computer engineer graduating from the US by like 2006 or something was the prediction at the time. And that's because the growth and demand in hardware was growing significantly. There wasn't enough people. It was a skill that was in shortage. Um, and essentially like university students were being told like study hardware engineering because that's that's what's in super high demand 
Um, and, and I did a, a, lot of, a lot of courses in hardware engineering as a result. And then what happened? Like Intel hasn't hired all the computer engineers from the, from the uh, graduating from the US. Uh, it would be impossible. Um, and what's happened is that there's been better tools to do that work. So a lot more automation in order to do that work in a more scalable way. Um, so much so that now it's not like the, the area that, that is experiencing the most growth or the most need. Um, those areas, it's kind of like data engineering, machine learning engineering, cloud engineering. That's, that's where the, the scarce, uh, scarce talent is now. Um, and these are going to, these areas that I just mentioned, these, these engineers uh, in the data space, they're going to be in short demand um, for a few years. And then there's going to be obviously an influx of people training on those skills, but also better and better tools that provide better automation. Uh, and we're going to define standards of doing the work that are much faster um, for us to, to get the work done uh, at scale. And then there's going to be something else that's going to be very much required. And that'll be kind of like the new frontier of, of innovation, of learning, um, of understanding. Um, so there's always there's always something something else uh, coming up, but I think a, a, a critical and common thread throughout them all is having an increase uh, increased technology skills uh, and obviously increased data skills for for the for the people that need more data literacy and that that combination is uh, more and more required and it's definitely super critical. And then if you're able to combine those two with domain expertise then you're a weapon like then you're um then you can um, do anything in that space and and take over the world so um so those those are the the five trends in data analytics and ai uh for 2022 and the following years um you got a couple extra ones there uh which one of them is the rise of the engineers in the data space um and we spoke about the um uh, the move of chief data, uh, the move in the executive space from the data analytics executives to other roles, and that the current one that's growing is moving to the technology uh, or, or blending data and technology. Um, and then um, a freebie from the last one, which was around data governance and information security comb combining. The freebie there was that um, having more technology skills and more automation is what's going to help us meet the demand for the areas that are in very short supply um, and that that's going to make a huge difference in, into, into shaping the, um, uh, those, those, um, those competencies and those capabilities that we see today in short supply. And also it can help us improve the, the reach, the repeatability um, um, of, of areas that are critical today, such as data governance um, and information security, which are key. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for, for tuning in, for listening to our um, trends of 2022 um, and kind of like end of year wrap up. We are super excited uh, and geared up for a huge 2022 at Data Futurology. We have a big lineup of events. Um, both virtual and physical, 
um, and we're going to be releasing a lot of podcasts as well. Uh, we're going to keep interviewing leaders. We're going to, we want to keep covering the content that is most interesting for you. So let us know what you want to hear about. And we're now creating more uh, broader themes that we can tackle over a number of weeks uh, between physical and virtual events. So tell us more about that. We've, we're going to continue covering AI. Um, we have our advancing AI event coming up um, next year in, that, in 2022. We also have our Data Ops Summit. We're going to do the MLOps Summit again. We're going to do vertical specifics um, in, in retail, in healthcare, uh, in finance. Uh, we're going to do an event around strategy and governance and how automation can improve that. Um, we're going to do um, events on the rise of the analytic of the sorry on the rise of the engineers in the data space. So analytics engineers, ML engineers, data engineers, software engineers, cloud engineers, etc. All in there um, and more and more. So we have we have much many more things, exciting things coming up in the pipeline. Thank you so much for for uh, supporting us, for being an audience, uh, for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to um, our you know, end of year wrap up plus the trends for 2022 and beyond. Um, thank you so much. We couldn't do this without you. I hope we're helping you in your journey. Let us know if that's the case. Can't wait to see you in 2022 and beyond. Thank you so much. Have a great um, end of year holiday period. Um, and hope to see you back here next year. Take care. Thank you so much. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you liked this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.